This episode is brought to you by Dave, a banking app that's leveling the financial playing field. Because when you download Dave, you could get up to $500 in five minutes or less. No credit check, no late fees. It's part of Dave's extra cash account. Advance the money you need with no interest and then settle up later. Download Dave today at dave.com slash Spotify. For terms and conditions, go to dave.com slash legal. Eligibility criteria and instant transfer fees apply. Banking services provided by Evolve, member FDIC. ABC Friday. It just takes one great idea to change your life. Shark Tank returns for its 15th season. I didn't know I was going to cry right now. With new guest sharks, Jason Blum of Blumhouse, Michael Rubin of Fanatics, and Candace Nelson of Sprinkles Cupcakes. I'm going to make you an offer. On a scale of 1 to 10. I've never seen anything like this on Shark Tank. This season is a 15. I totally believe in you. Shark Tank premieres Friday on ABC and stream on Hulu. I've been in dogs since 1991. We breed dogs that we want to train. I was up here in Western Nebraska riding Harleys and training dogs. I don't sugarcoat anything, and if you don't like it, tough. Thank you for joining us. This is episode four of the Flatlander Kennels podcast with Chris Jobin. This is our second episode in a row. We're having Chris Aiken on. And this time we we put out, um, we asked people at our Facebook group to ask questions. And we got about 22 of them. So I don't think we're going to be able to hit every single one of those tonight. But we're going to get through, I think, seven or eight of them. And the Chris's are going to jump on those. So if you want to join us at Facebook, that group, the Flatlander Kennels podcast, with Chris Job and Facebook group, come on over and join because a lot of what we're going to do is Q&A type of stuff. So come on over. Just don't forget also to give us a rating and a review if you like what we've got going on over here. This podcast is for pros and amateurs alike. So without further ado, Chris Jobman. Hi, guys. Hey, Chris Jobman here with Flatlander Kennels. Uh, thanks for joining us for episode four. I got my my buddy and my brother, Chris Aiken, with me of Web-Footed Kennels. Hi, Chris. Thanks for joining us. Hi, buddy. Hey. And on episode three, if you guys missed episode three, Chris and I talked about the grand, what to expect at the grand, that sort of thing. So if you'd like to know more about Chris, what he's about, where he came from, go back to episode three, give that a listen. But we're going to jump right into these questions right away right here because we got, you know, we don't want to take up all your guys' time. Let's just jump into these questions. Elliot? Um, who, what's our first question and who's it from? All right. This question is from Emily Sh- Sherry, Emily Sherry, 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 S H I R E Y. And she says, I'd really love to hear Chris talk about the British labs in relation to his success with shaker. Okay, Emily, th- this is a, a good question. This is, it's not really a question, but it's more of a story. Um, Shaker's a great dog, um, British dog. You know, he I've had him since he was six months old. He's owned by a very dear close friend of ours and client, Nora Barth, who lives in Ohio. She used to live in, in Colorado, but she's moved to Ohio lately. And and Shaker is is the only British dog to have three grand passes, um, master hunter, master national hunter, and in the in the Master National Hall of Fame. And he's literally inches 
from being a five-time Grand Heart Retriever champion. I've lost him in the four series twice. Um, just overrunning a mark or missing a mark. But the, 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 the good thing about Shaker is, is, is he's super, super smart. Um, he, he's very under control. He kind of goes where you tell him to go. He's good at problem, problem solving. But the reason why I want to answer this deal is because Chris Aiken trained his mother, who I believe is the only – now, don't beat me up if I'm wrong on this deal, but is the only – female grand hunting retriever champion in history and, and that makes shaker the only second the only se- gen- second generation british lab in history chris tell us so a she's bit the about- only british she's the only british lab female right you yeah yeah she's yeah. the only british well, I, lab I don't female wanna, yeah she's the oh i we believe she's the only she's the only british only Grand Hunter Retriever Champion British Lab female in history, which makes Shaker the only second generation Grand Hunter uh, Retriever Champion British Lab. Chris, tell us a little bit about Shaker's mom. I watched Shaker's mom train all the time for the Grand because I was in your we, we trained together. So tell us a little bit about her. You know, she was originally uh, owned by a gentleman that, that sent that dog in for training uh, at a trained her down in texas and they did it for three months and and sent her home and the guy was uh was in the military and and he ended up making a career out of it he gave the dog i believe to to i think what he did is gave it to a friend of mine named jim crocker from indiana uh jim uh brought her to us uh he did a lot of training at home uh, he did an excellent job with what he did. Jim is a very big perfectionist, uh, OCD kind of guy, very detailed, uh, worried about every uh, every single thing uh, you could worry about. Uh, Jim does. Uh, he's got dogs in training with us today, and, and you know he's uh, he's just a great dog guy, great hunter. Uh, but he brought us Sadie. Uh, we continued her education. Uh, we we carried her to the next level. Uh, she, she passed two grands, uh, in a row. He would not let us have her in the fall grands because she, uh, he hunts and in Indiana, their season comes in prior to us. And so he didn't want her being gone for hunting season. And so we got to run her in two spring grands and she passed both of those back to back and, uh, uh, you know, to get her grand title. And, And I think the dog, uh, I'm sure that uh, her pass ratio through finished and, and through uh, uh, masters, and I don't know the dog ever failed a test. And, you know, you talk about her being the only female. I don't know how many dogs there are that are grand champions uh, to this day that are British. I asked a guy that I thought would know uh, this last week, uh, a big British guy, uh, and I asked him, I said, how many do you think? And he said, uh, ah, probably seven or eight. And I said, well, name them. And he said, I, and, he, and he, named, he named Shaker and he named Sadie and he couldn't give me any others. And I said, well, I have another one mm-hmm. uh, named Deacon. So I know yeah. there's three. And I, I would still say there's less than five or six. Uh, and if, that's strictly a guess because I'm not up on my British dogs. But you understand that two of them are out of the exact same line, uh, father and, and uh, or excuse me, uh, mother and, and son. 
and it's just a it's a pretty elite crowd in the British world uh, to be a grand champion, and uh, there's not a lot of them that have have got to that that level of high education. And uh, you know, that's not to say that they can't. It's just a you know, the, not everybody's cut out to play college ball or minor league or major league ball. And the British dogs just haven't caught up, uh, you know, with the American labs to get to that level uh, very often. So Shaker, I've, I've watched Shaker run a million times. He is a very consistent player, uh, marks wise and blind wise. He's a very good point and shoot dog. And, and he is a serious problem solver and he's a very compliant guy. You know, when, when you're on blinds, he's, you know, tweet, 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 and it's over with. And, um, he, he does what he's supposed to do and, and a really, really nice dog. Uh, Sadie ran a little bit more free. She was, a yeah. uh, she was more of her own dog. She, she was a very tight marking dog, a uh, very small area. She knew where they were and a very compliant blind running dog. A uh, very stylish dog. That dog hunted a ton. Jim is one of the only pheasant hunters that I know that requires his dog to be steady to wing and shot. Uh, and and most pheasant hunters, uh, you know, don't do that. Uh, you know, I'm from Arkansas, so I don't know a whole lot about pheasant hunting. Don't and don't pretend to. But I know most of those guys, when that bird comes up and they touch the trigger, they want them gone. And so they make our job a lot harder for us once we get to the grand because that dog has to be steady. I know Chris can bass out with a lot of his dogs. Yeah. When we get ready for Upland, Chris says, oh, God dang, I'm scared to death of this dog. I'm like, why? He said, she picks up 2,000 pheasants a year. And I'm like, well, dead gum. You ought to be excited about that. He goes, no, I'm not because she breaks every <laughs> single time leaving the bird comes up. <laughs> And, uh, yeah. you know, it's just it's just different when they're hunting and when we're running tests, although they know their job, they know it a little too well. And so, uh, anyway, Sadie was a great dog. Shaker's a great dog, uh, uh, you know, but I, I, they're in a very, very small list of British uh, grand champions, I would think. Yeah, it, the list is super small. And, and let's not right. forget, uh, let's not forget our, our favorite British dog, Remington, owned by by Jennifer Lugo um, that was in our group last year that got his grand title. So he's also one of them, but I don't know very many of them, but Shaker's a great dog comes from great mama. And um, he's just been a pleasure. Next. All right. Let's move on to the next question. This one comes from Jeff Sweeney. He asks, how do you train for marks that dogs don't see fall, especially at the grand? Well, this, that's going to happen. It's not a matter of if it's a matter of when. And, and Chris may do something a little bit different than I am. I'm just going to throw my little two cents. He can throw his little two cents in, but, but in training you need, there's a lot, there's a lot of style of dogs out there. There's those style of dogs that are point and shoot. And we, what we talk about that is, is, is you line that dog up and the term is go as sent and you point and you shoot, and they're a, a real optimistic dog. Like they, 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 they're relatively confident. And and when you point them and you shoot them, they think there's the you know the pot at the end of the rainbow. When you're going to find a bird, and those are the real optimistic dogs. They're point and shoot, and it's going to be a matter of time, you know, before that happens to you. And and I don't necessarily, I don't personally train on that. But in training, if a dog misses a mark and doesn't see a mark, it's not the end of the world to me. 
Um, a lot of times we have our bird throwers out there and stuff. You know, I just get off the bucket or if I'm standing up like AKC and I don't, I don't get all, you know, crazy about it, especially if it's more of an advanced dog. They need to learn how to, to handle that and cope with that. So I just, you know, put my gun down or stand up, do whatever you're doing, and, and talk the dog into the line, talk the dog into the spot. You know, hey, where's your mark at? Where's your mark? There it is, right there, right there. And you talk them into the spot. And then, and then the more animated you get, they're like, oh, there it is. And then, then they believe you. And then off you go, you, you shoot them off and you kick them off. Now, if you have a helper out there and that dog starts fading with the wind or the terrain, have that helper step out and go, hey, 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 and get that back dog back online and let him find the bird. So then if you do that enough times, or if you have just wingers out there, if the dog starts fading, throw another bird in route. So if you do that enough times, I believe the dog will eventually start trusting you and they, they'll believe there's a bird out there. Um, Chris, what, what do you do for your dogs? I know you and I both in training a lot of times, we'll just stand up and, hey, no big deal. Let's just, you know, you, they got to learn how to do this. Now, it's something I won't, hey, I'm going to train on that today. I don't do that. But like I said, in, in training, if they miss their mark, a lot of times, hey, no big deal. Um, here we go. Chris, what do you do? Well, you know, it's funny. We just had this discussion this afternoon. Uh Scott Hart is is a trainer at our kennel, and Scott was in the field trial game and very successful trainer. Uh, I think he's got 38 years under his belt. Uh, hard-working guys you'd ever want to meet. And, and Scott was trained by his dad, Joe Hart, and all their field trial community. Uh, they were some of the best of the best ever was, Drew Ayer, that they – they trained with and summered with and ran with and, and all that. And so they, they, uh, in the field trial world, there's a lot of point and shoot dogs that are, that that's how they win. And so Scott has, uh, with me being still, uh, I call a student of the game every day. Uh, Scott and I were talking about this very thing this afternoon and, and Scott came up with a saying, you know, if you, it was say, so let me set the stage here. So if they throw a triple out there in the field, you're not going to send the dog on the mark you know he didn't see. You're going to go ahead and pick up the ones that you do know that he saw, right? So you pick up third base and you pick up center field. 100%. Now you've only got right field left to pick up, okay? Now, Scott said this afternoon, this was a saying I really thought, thought a lot of, he said, you don't know where the bird is but you do know where you've been and you better not go back there. And, and, and so there's a lot of truth in that. So that narrows down two thirds of the field. Okay. So now we're pointing out here to right field. And, and if we line that dog up and send him and he goes out and deviates from his line, he's either going to go out here to no man's land out here to the right and which we would stop him and call him back and, and line him back up. And we may even have the bird boy step out just a hair, just to give him a little bit of a hint or B the dog fades back and gets into an old fall, which we let him go all the way to the old fall, make corrections uh, with the collar, call him back out of there, then reline him up with the bird boy, maybe stepped out and send him back in there. But the main thing is we're wanting the dog to leave the line, go to the area of the fall and find the bird. So the deal is now what we're teaching the dog to do is to be a problem solver. Now, problem solving 
the it comes with that's experience. Okay, that's all all this is is experiences in the dog's life that makes them a better dog and makes them more successful. No different than us. You stick your hand on the in the fire, you get your hand burned. You don't go back and get in the fire. Same thing there. You go back to an old fall, your hand was in the fire. You go out here to right field, you didn't get to where we need to be. No, no, no. You come back in here, you line him back up until you get the line you want. But it's very, very important to get the line that you want and have the dog successful at leaving your side, made it to the area of the fall, and turning into a problem solver and coming up with a bird. Now, this is much more difficult in a weekend test where there's only 30 dogs running the land test or the water test. But when you're at a a, a master national or especially the grand and you run the lanes become crazy the amount of trails the amount of lanes in the cover uh it becomes black and white to the dog where all the other dogs have been and they can get in a groove or get in there and i even think we call it back drag or we can call it uh, trail and other dogs these dogs learn all this stuff through experiences and they learn how to figure all this stuff out. And they're, they're, they use all the information that we're giving them. We're pointing them in the right direction. We're sending them with a certain tone to our voice, whether it be easy or be loud. Uh, we're, we're, we're cueing them one side of a, of a bush or the left side of the bush or whatever. And then not that, they're using the trails, they're using the scent, they're using the back drag. I mean, there's a lot of clues that we're giving that dog. They're not going out there empty-handed. And uh, so, so there's a lot of things, but the more, and, and I like to say, I'm a student of this game and, and Scott's, Scott's been really working with me on this because he is the master at it, I believe. And, and he can teach that dog to go straight and he does it from a very young age. I mean, I'm talking about right out of the gate. He starts teaching those dogs because he, he used to. What I would do if a dog missed a mark is I would, you know, I would handle, then I would have the guy repeat it, and I would then the dog go straight to it, and I felt better about it. But at the end of the day, this didn't put any weight on the dog's shoulders. But when you teach a dog to point and shoot, all the weight's on that dog's shoulders. And and uh, and it's amazing because, like, tonight I had a little dog that uh, it's a little golden I really love. And, and I, I sent this dog out, and I knew she didn't see it. And I sent her out, and there was two – it was very long birds, and they were fairly close together. And she went out and faded off at it and went back to an old fall. And I got onto her pretty heavy, caught her right back to me, man. She came back in there, spun right around, looked right back out there, just five or six or seven degrees off that other line. And I sent her, and she went straight to the bird. And I told Scott, I said, man – Two years ago, I would have never had a dog that would do that that caliber work on a rebound, you know. But the problem solving and the dog being able to accomplish that on her own and and be confident that she can figure things out on her own makes that dog get a ribbon. And that, that little dog's three years old, has two plates and a grand pass. That's a golden retriever female. Uh, you know, it, it's just it, it's amazing to watch. Uh, dogs like that uh, accomplish that much at such a young age and be able to do those kind of marks. But but the point-and-shoot dog is a definite necessity no matter what game you play today, whether it be the Grand, Master National, Quals, Open, whatever. You better have your point-and-shoot dog because they're not going to see every mark. Chris and I have ran series where they saw one of three marks. Uh and I mean, I'm not talking about just one dog. I'm talking about every yeah. dog in the flight 
saw one of three marks and absolutely pitiful. Had a little bit to do with the lighting, had a heck of a lot to do with the placement. And, uh, and so you better have a dog that can go out there and, and figure it out on their own and get it done. So not to preach on that too much, but the point and shoot is a, is a thing that it's art to it. Uh, it's a, uh, and it's very mandatory in today's world for sure. 100%. 100%. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the next one. This one comes from Ryan Compton. It says, how do you peak your dog for national events? What do you focus on in training? Punch birds, checking down birds, tight setups or big swings, etc. What do you look for for bird placement? Okay, well, I'm trying to do that right now. Um, there is no rhyme or and maybe somebody's better at it than I am. But I'm trying to so – we're getting ready to run the Grand April 22nd. And we just, you know, kind of got these dogs back, you know, a month or so ago, and we're getting ready to roll. And we're rolling now. And I'm trying to, quote, unquote, peak them. Now, every dog is different because their mentalities and all that stuff. But what I'm, what I'm trying to do is – and I, I know some people, you know, they say, hey, you know, they get into their dog and you know, they break them down a little bit. And, and you'll give them a reality check of life, and then they try to build them back up, you know, getting them ready, ready, you know, further on the grand. What I'm trying to do, and I've been trying to do this for the last couple of years, it really worked good last year at the Master National, the grand for me, is I back off on my dogs quite a bit. I still hold a, a nice high line standard, don't get me wrong, but I start my setups relatively simple, simple marks, simple blinds. And I gradually, and I want to keep their confidence really high. Now, now, and I'm, and I'm not saying don't correct the dog for lion manners. I'm not saying don't correct him from cheating. I'm not saying don't correct him for cash refusals. But start your setups relatively simple and just slowly get your dog's confidence level up. And once you get to the harder setups, like you get to the grand and or the national or whatever you're running and you've gradually you know corrected the dog now, i'm not saying get on to them and melt them down you know that, that sort of thing i'm sorry gradually correct the dog and slowly gets harder and harder and harder on your setups so that when you get to the grand that's the hardest thing they're going to run in their entire life and they come into that with a lot of confidence they're not they're not nervous about looking out for the long bird because they've you know they haven't gotten in trouble you know they they haven't gotten in trouble for not seeing it or they're not nervous to swing they're they they come in real confident and their this work has gotten gradually harder so when they get to the hardest venue of their life they're real confident coming into that and 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 and, and we talked about Rhett last episode and I really watched Rhett Chris I think it was two master nationals ago and he did a spectacular job with his whole string of trucks. And his dogs were a little bit looser at the line, a little bit loose, but, but they ran super, super well and unstressed. And I looked at that and I was like, you know what? I'm worrying too much about this. I'm trying to, you know, I've been doing this for so long. I've been trying to do this. So I kind of changed my mode a little bit. I'm a little bit softer around the line. I'm a little bit more lean on certain things. Now, there are some capital punishments, you know, making noise, breaking, you know, those sort of things. Um, but 
I don't sweat the little stuff so much anymore, and then maybe the corrections a little bit lighter because I want to try to get them in coming into the event really, really confident and not wore out mentally. Did that make sense? Well, Chris, you know, do you do anything? Peaking them is basically is, is just confidence. Like you said 30 times there, it's just about the confidence. But the deal is I think you have to take in consideration the dog. I think that some dogs think they're the best in the world before you ever do yeah. anything with them. And I think some dogs think they're the worst in the world. So you got to kind of, you got to kind of match it up with the dog that you have, but make sure that they're running very confident. You know, if, if you've got a dog that, you know, struggles on marks, you know, you may need to praise them more when they come back dogs that are very arrogant. You may need to, you know, just uh, may need to get on to them for some small things uh, during that, whether it be, you know, fading of the line or, or at the line or whatever, so that you, you got them thinking a little bit and keeping them on their toes. But what the main thing I like to do to, to, to really give those dogs confidence, we have to challenge the dogs every day. Uh, but I think we do a lot of marks that are, are easy to find, but hard to get to. And, and on my place, we have a lot of hills. Uh, yeah. You know, like on Chris's place, he has a lot of cover. He has a lot of cattails around the ponds. Uh, you know, these birds, you have to know where to enter. You have to know where to exit. Uh, you can't see the bird because of the hills or because of the cover, because the cattails, whatever. But once you get there, uh, you're on uh, the back, uh, you know, 18th hole there. It's mowed. It's beautiful. So once they exit, there's the bird. It wasn't a big to do. So their confidence comes up. Although it was very still challenging uh, to get there, once they got there, it wasn't a big deal. And we we do a lot of things, maybe even subconsciously, like that. But I think the saying is uh, easy to find but hard to get to. And and the more of those kind of marks you do, uh, the better off you are. Uh, another thing is, I don't. Uh, what I see a lot of, especially with amateurs, is their standards not high until they get to pre grand training. And I've seen those amateurs stress limbs go through the roof and their dog go straight, straight through the toilet. You, we try to really do, uh, you know, normally we get these dogs back two months before the gram. They, they're on, we keep them pretty tense for the first month. And the next month we start backing off of them. We're still requiring them the standard, but at the same time, we're, uh, you know, we're, we're still getting them a little bit of leeway where we need to so that it's, their confidence stays high. And, you know, you know, we had dogs today we ran as singles. We had dogs we ran today as double-doubles. We had dogs where we threw all five marks, ran three blinds, and came back and picked up the five marks as a quint. I mean, you've got to know your dog, and you got to know what they're capable of, and you got to keep them being successful so that they're, they're, the word I use is arrogant or confident, whatever you want to use, so they, they know they can pull all the job off and they know they can do the job that's needed to be done. And, and but you have to still challenge the dogs, so keeping those marks where, you know, they're, they're hard to get to but easy to find. So uh, I know that's probably talking in circles there but but most important part is knowing your dog uh you take dogs that that are you know need a lot of praise i've chris you seen me do this i remember a couple grands ago i took a dog and before the last series of grand we threw singles 
while everybody was setting tearing down i got out there and threw singles and i was just absolutely praising this dog on everything we're talking junior level singles and we were out there, you know, praising the crap out of her, really building her up, making her think she's something awful special. And she passed that grand, and it's a dog that was having lots of marking troubles during our pre-grand training. But just those singles and me pumping her up and telling her, gracious, do you think I'd have done that to the next dog? There's not a shot in all heck I'd have done that to the next one because he'd have broken as soon as the first mark came out. So I think you got to kind of know your dog, and you got to kind of tweak it uh in order to uh, to get to the end, if you know what I mean, to get to get the job done. All right, let's move on to the next one. This is from Bill Silcox, and he is asking what owners should do with a puppy before they're going to send it off to a trainer to fix all the mistakes that they made. Yeah, can I take this one right quick? Yeah, yeah. Can I take yep, this yep, one yep. off the top? I know what you're going to say. Yep, go for it. I, I, Bill, I think I, – Bill, Bill, that's a great question, and, and – I think that people overthink that a lot. Me personally, when when I take a dog in at six months old uh, for training is when I like to have them. By that time, they've lost their puppy teeth. They got all their adult teeth in. Uh, you know, they're they're kind of getting mature enough. Uh, they're big enough. We can kind of do some training. But up to that point, what I want people to do at home is nothing really super formal. Uh, I love dogs to come to me that are very well socialized. People, places, things. I want them to go everywhere but the electric chair, as I tell people. I want them to go to grandma's house. I want them to go to duck camp. I want them to go to the office. I want them to go to Burger King. I want them to go get ice cream. I want them to go to the soccer field, baseball field. I want to go to the skeet range. I don't really care where you carry that dog. Just know that your job is to protect that dog uh, from the wrong things. And here's what I think the wrong things are. If you're riding down the road with your favorite buddy and you see a cow running out in the field, don't grab your seven mag out between you and throw it out the window when you got a 10-week-old puppy between you and the seat and shoot the coyote. I, I know that's illegal. I've seen it done a million times, not with a seven-week-old puppy between it. You've got to protect that dog from loud noises. you got to protect that dog from cold water. you got to protect that dog from people that don't like dogs. Uh, you know, not everybody's a puppy guy. Not everybody wants a dog in their lap. Not everybody wants a dog jumping on them. I want the dog to have great experiences, people, place, and things. Ride the dog in a ranger. Carry the dog in your duck boat. Carry the dog fishing. I mean, I don't care. Uh, and, and then the other thing I want you to do is coach it and retrieve it. Now, I'm not talking about steady marks, doubles, and triples. I'm talking non-steady marks, uh, just barely hanging on the dog. Uh, throwing simple marks, and, and weather permits, do it in the water, weather permits, do it outside. If not, hey, close all the bedroom, bathroom doors in the house, get you a tennis ball, throw up, throw down the middle of a, the hallway, let him go get it. He's only got one place to go back to, which is you, pet and love on him, throw it a few more times, three or four times, and quit him for the day. That's plenty. Uh, you know, once the water gets warm, we start going outside. If you can walk out in it with shorts on and, and tennis shoes and you can get out thigh deep and you're not cold, that's when the puppy needs to start. You know, have him follow you out in the water, come back, throw your tennis ball out in the water. I mean, it, uh, the coaching retrieving, let's face it, when Chris and I get one the first day, we don't care if you've done hill sit, stay kennel, fetch hold leave, we could care less. We want to see that dog retrieve. We want to see him enjoy his work. We want to see him not scared of us. 
We want to say I'm not scared of the ranger. We want to say I'm not scared of a new place. Not, and if we, when, if we go to the back of the truck and that dog's thrown up in the box three times because he drove in a truck, we are in trouble because that dog's never been anywhere but the vet's office and, and back to the house. We are in trouble. So we just want that dog that understands what a train is and a Harley is and, uh, you know, and all sounds in between. 100%. Socialization, socialization, socialization. Number one. Here we go for the next one. Wait, are you gaming on a Chromebook? Yeah, it's got a high-res 120 hertz display, plus this killer RGB keyboard. And I can access thousands of games anytime, anywhere. Stop playing. What? Get out of here. Huh? Yeah, I want you to stop playing and get out of here so I can game on that Chromebook. Got it. Discover the ultimate cloud gaming machine, a new kind of Chromebook. This episode is brought to you by Chevrolet. Now's your chance to support a team with real grit. The Chevy ZR2 family of off-road trucks. The first ever Silverado HD ZR2 joins the all-new Colorado ZR2 and the Silverado ZR2 for a commanding lineup of off-road ready trucks. Equipped to take on anything this season throws their way. Visit Chevy.com to learn more. This is Gloria Mundell. She says, your dog breaks on exciting watermarks and tests but not ever in training. What do you do to handle that? Well, Gloria, first thing you need to do is put that dog on my trailer, please. That is a beast of an animal. You train with me every week, and I love <laughs> that dog. You put that dog on my trailer, Gloria, you'll never have to worry about that again. But get to your question. That dog is – I love that dog. Woo. But um, So let's get to your question. We, so you want to throw a lot of those type marks. You want to throw a lot of breaking type birds. Um, what you want to do, especially if they're like, if they, if that's what they're, you know, that causes them to break. What I do a lot of that stuff, and I know, and I know you run, you know, you're strictly AKC stuff. Um, I do a lot of reverse healing on that. And what I mean by that is, is when that, when that bird hits the water, or any, and I'll be quite honest with you, if your dog is doing that, it's probably got a little bit of a control issue on, on about everything. So when that dog, when that bird hits the water or the ground or whatever it's doing, I slowly, and I, and I get my color, I don't turn my color on real, real high, start out kind of low, but I start backing up and I don't say anything to the dog, nothing. And I just start backing up real slow. And if that dog does not come back with me, I give it, um, I get onto it with a collar a little bit, a little neck tickle, and I probably probably continuous pressure, and that dog has to come back and find me, right? So if you move, that dog needs to know where you're at because here's the thing. If that dog is breaking on those birds and you move and they don't come back with you, they don't even care you're there. You've already lost the battle. So I do a lot of reverse healing on those things. And a dog that's a really problem breaker like that or doesn't respect you at all, I do turn the collar up and the neck tickle gets a little bit stronger. Continuous pressure, I slowly back up. And until and I keep continuous pressure on there until a dog gets to my heel. And then that dog is going to expect to leave, right? Because it, now do it again. Don't send a dog yet. Do it again. Now you're not, more, you're not worried about the dog's barking at this point. You're worried about the dog's continue looking for you and the respect and the relationship 
that that dog needs to know where you're at. It's not your job to go to that dog. That it's that dog's job to stay with you. So do that reverse healing and do that a lot. I do that a lot with some of our dogs that you know um, move around a little bit. I do a lot of reverse healing. I might do it on every single mark, and because they have to know where you're at. Now, when you do that, your marking is going to go down. The marking is going to go down on your dog. It's not going to be marking quite as well. But you, you know what? Just weather the storm because it's going to get worse before it gets better. And if you're and in a test, and in a test, if that happens, maybe you can start backing up just a little bit, and that dog will follow you back. And that's what you really, really want. So work on that reverse healing and, and see and, and see how that works. Chris, you got anything on that one? I do. So I think that when we grew up as children, I think we minded better at home than we did at grandma's house or the mall or maybe even, uh, you know, at, uh, in public places. Okay. And I think the reason for that is because we knew the repercussion where mom or dad could get a hold of us and make those corrections they needed. Maybe grandma wouldn't let that happen. You couldn't do it at the mall. You couldn't do it at church. You couldn't do it in public places. So you knew you could get away with a little bit more. So when I have a dog like that, I like to go to different places, train with different people. Uh, I like to train without the collar, but I like to do everything physically. Physically being healing sticks, uh, physically being leashes, physically being my hands okay i get to grab me an ear grab me a tail or whatever i need to and make a lot of those corrections now like the reverse healing that chris is talking about that can all be done with a leash and a collar or it can be done with a healing stick uh, great advice i think you just have to up your ante on the level of distraction for that dog in public places uh at the mall i promise you if as a child we would have gotten in trouble at the mall once or twice the way mom and dad wanted to fix it we would have acted real good at the mall all the time okay uh same thing at church and at grandma's house so you know the worst thing people do is when they're they, they try this a little bit they don't like what they're having to do because it's too physical or it's it's not working as fast as they want. They go back and strap the collar on. Chris will tell you, when we get to the Grand, when we get there, we got all the smells of other dogs. We're in a different place. We're not at the kennel. We're, we've traveled long distances. We will all train, especially going to the line, especially on the marks. We will train without a collar. And I know a lot of people are going, oh, my God, I can't believe you're doing that. We do that because we're trying to combat what you're talking about. We want that dog. We want to be able to semi-physically fix what we need to with those dogs because the magic necklace is not going to be on them on Saturday and Sunday uh, at the weekend test. And so if you'll do these things, train with different training groups, train with, you know, set it up where that dog thinks it's at a test, thinks it's at a, at, at a trial, uh, then I think that, 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 that he will do better at a test than at a trial. 100%.
We've got three questions left here. This one's from Steve Hammock. He says, what do you do if your dog always breaks while hunting but is steady in training? We raise to shoot and the pup is already launched. This is a five-year-old pointing waterfowl crazy lab. So the dog is dog is breaking. As you as you, you call your your quack 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 quack, here they come, get ready. And as you're as you're raising up, the dog's leaving. Is that because that was he's saying, Elliot? That that's correct. That's how okay. I read that. All we right. raise to shoot so, and the pup is already. I know off. Chris wants to do some of this. I know Chris wants to do some of this right now on this dog too. But I honestly what I would do if it was me on this dog, you need to put your gun down for one. Um that's the number one most important thing. Hopefully the dog's collar conditioning has a collar on that sort of thing. You got to, but you got to put your gun down, and you got to let everybody else do the shooting, and you pay attention to your dog. And if it breaks, you're gonna have to get onto it because that's a dangerous, dangerous situation, and you're gonna have to do what you have to do to stop the dog and get it back. Now it's not gonna be fun, and it's not gonna be pleasant, and it's not gonna be pretty, and, and your buddies are gonna have to understand that. Now, if that dog does that, get onto that dog, and you're not shooting, right? You're just watching the dog. Get that dog back. Now, if it's a spot that you're hunting that you can walk out yourself, rice field, cornfield, something, shallow water, if you can do it yourself, you walk out and you pick that, you pick that bird up, right? Now, I don't think a dog sits there and when it tries to break, and you get on it, and then you go out and you pick up the birds, I don't think necessarily I think the dog in their mind maybe thinks, oh, I got in trouble for breaking, or I don't get, if you take the bird away, I don't think they get, they think, oh, they took the bird away from me. I don't think they think like that. But what I do know is they don't get rewarded for bad behavior, right? They don't, they, they don't get the bird after acting like that. So put your gun down, pay attention to the dog, hold a high standard, and dogs that are like that are hard to fix over their lifetime just because it's become a habit. Chris, what do you think? Well, it depends on how many birds this dog's picked up. Just yes. because he's five-year-old doesn't mean he's picked up a ton of birds. It just means that he's five years old, okay? If this dog's picked up 100, 150, 200 birds, uh, for lack of a better term, you're probably out of luck on ever fixing it. Now, you can curb it, but I doubt you'll ever fix it. And and to be really blunt and semi-rude, this is all your fault for allowing this dog to do this from the very beginning because you didn't set your standards so high. I will promise you this, though, uh, to rebound there, your next dog will not be a breaker because you've recognized what you don't want in a dog and you will demand that out of your next dog, even if he has some other faults. I, I have very uh, proven confidence from seeing this go on uh, all these years that your next dog won't be that way. And, and But that's up to you. The dogs aren't going to become steady on their own. Chris is right. You've got to put the gun down. You've got to use your leash. You've got to use your collar. You may need to use a healing stick uh, or worse. My favorite thing to use in any scenario like that on a on an unruly dog, believe it or not, is rough as it sounds, is a wiffle ball bat. A wiffle ball bat's not going to hurt anybody. It, it it looks intimidating as all get out. 
but it is some kind of intimidating to any live animal, including myself. And you can conk one uh, in the body, and you're not going to hurt him. And, and, you know, your buddies may think you're crazy, but I will tell you, intimidation is the name of the game on a breaking dog. And uh, so get you one, go to, you know, any uh, uh, Dollar General, Walmart, whatever you got there, get you a, a cheap, uh, you know, plastic black bat, carry him hunting, and, and you work on this because I'm going to tell you, now, Chris is right, you've got to put your shotgun down and you've got to make sure that dog, you know, a lot of people around here hunt out of pits and blinds. The dogs can see everything. When they do, those dogs may even be chained up. They may be hooked up with a short leash. And if they break, they get to the end. They can, you know, get two or three feet out. It flips them sideways or they end over in whatever. And they learn not to go. You've got to detain that dog to the point. Because let's face it, this isn't just a, a deal where it's un, you're unhappy with him because he breaks. That dog could get his head blown off. If he hunts in a pit, he hunts in a blind, that dog could get shot. He could break, run down the wall of the blind, knock every shotgun over. Shotguns discharge in a blind. It kills your best friend, your son, your, your dad, your best hunting buddy. I mean, the stories are endless that the, what could happen because of a breaking dog. It's us as a handler, we are responsible for what that dog does in a hunt, and it's not that hard. It's just a matter of setting that gun down and demanding the standard. But demand the standard, yeah. your dog has to be trained before you get there. And you have to have you have to be able to control that dog before you get out there in the hunt. So I'm yeah. not picking on you. I'm not preaching to you. But I, I, I'm afraid if this dog is a very uh, experienced waterfowl dog, that you'll probably never fix it. Now, why, why is that that with a pressure collar, you wouldn't be able to fix that dog? Why, why do you think that becomes I, so difficult? I'm not, I don't I'm say that you can't that. fix it with an e-collar. I think you can fix it with an e-collar. Uh, but you, I, I will tell you this, though. I don't know how many people you take hunting a year, but I will tell you, if you're having to scold a dog at a high level on an e-collar during a hunt, it makes a very uncomfortable duck blind. And nobody goes right. out there to watch you scold your dog day after day with an e-collar. And they'll get me wrong. You say, well, they don't want to see you beat with a wiffle ball bat, too. It's not beating them. It's not. You're making corrections with that bat to intimidate the dog from ever leaving. You know what I mean? So the, the, the consequences are bad, different. But I'll tell you, I've been in those situations. I got a great client of mine and, and a great dog owner. Uh, he's, a, he's a guy that hunts with me all the time. His dog got to go on before he seen him. And I got on him and said, if you don't, if you don't correct him, uh, he's going to start breaking as soon as the birds hit the water. The very next volley, the birds hit the water and his dog was gone. I said, I told you that was fixing to happen. And he said, well, I just don't want to get on to him. I said, let's just get on to him one time and see what happens. I said, let me have the transmitter and let me do it. And I got on to him one time. This is a young dog. Dog hadn't picked up 20 birds his whole life. And after that, we could splash birds. And we were hunting in the timber and, and, uh, and we were splashing birds right beside him and uh, and literally him not moving a muscle. And, and it just sometimes, you know, if you do it on the front end, now we nipped it in the bud. We don't have to worry about this five-year-old dog that's already got away with, you know, four or 5,000 retrieves or even two or 300 retrieves. 
because like Chris said, it becomes a habit for as soon as that bird hits the ground, he's gone. You know, and you just don't want that to happen. So uh, breaking's my pet peeve. I hunt the timber a lot, and uh, and a lot of times when you're working ducks around, you bring ducks in, you land ducks, and then you know you're working the rest of the group. They have to come in. That dog has to be steady to all that. And if you've got a dog that breaks, that all that's not going to happen. And in that case, you're not going to see the show. You're not going, and, and we hunt in pretty tight quarters, you know, and when, and during season, uh, you know, when the birds are fresh and, and the birds are working right, they come in there and they're in their face. I mean, they're right there. You know, Chris and I both hunt, uh, we hunt with small guns. We shoot a lot of 410s. We shoot a lot of 28s. We like stuff to be close. And it, when in stuff to be close, you got to have dogs that are very, very controlled hunting and uh you know if you're gonna work them in tight and put them in your lap and and then go to working on them and a dog that's uh it's a breaker that just won't work this is a little side this isn't on the list but i do want to add this in here for, for myself um georgie's a little bit of a whiner not not bad not huge yeah. when we're out hunting but enough that i felt like there were several passes with mallard's low overhead that they may have been hearing her i'm at a loss I've been trying to take the healing stick because that did wonders on her, uh, Chris Job. And you, when she was having holding blind issues, that's what she said, healing stick. And it erased it like that. So I've been trying to take that same concept out hunting. I know it's a bad problem whining. What's the best way to combat that? Well, you caused that problem because her mom and dad doesn't don't do that. Well, I, I probably cause a lot of, anytime she does, no, anytime she does anything bad, I always say, I know it's me. I know it's not her. I know it's me. But anyway, help. It can't. Yeah. 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 Um, that's a, the whining is a really hard thing to stop. Um, because it, it usually, hopefully it just stays with the whining, but then a lot of times it turns to barking. Um, Chris, it's a it's such a hard thing to stop, and you can get onto them with a collar, but but with that, that always scares me with some of them dogs because sometimes you get onto them with a collar, it makes them louder, then they think it's okay to be loud and that sort of thing. But 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 what I do um, do with some of those dogs is I get onto them with a collar, and now then now you're gonna ruin those ducks that are working because they're gonna make noise and. It, breaking whining any of the capital punishments barking you know those sort of things you have to make the punishment worse than the reward so they've got to think okay was that really worth doing that it, when that happened so if birds are working i would honestly elliot i'd probably really turn up the pressure um either on the collar or grab her physically like chris said and really make it not worth doing that. Now you're going to ruin those birds working, but you know it's not going to it's it's not going to make it worse. You know it's not going to make your whining worse. And then if she does do that whining, and and let's just say let's just say let's just say the birds are coming in and you shoot, and she starts making a lot of noise, and when the birds hitting the water, I mean a lot of noise. Mm -hmm. Do not send her. If you can walk out and get those birds, go get them and make her stay there. She doesn't get rewarded for that. So, Chris, what do you, what do you think on all that? I, well, a couple different things. You know, 20 years ago, 
I never heard of a dog whining during a hunt. And if I did, it was once a year. Today's world, I hear about it every single day of duck season. It could be from a client of mine. It could be from a friend of mine. It could be from people that have reached out to every trainer in the country trying to get an answer on how to fix it, and they can't fix it. And what they'll tell you is, Elliot, and your dog's probably this way, they'll tell you how great their dog is for five minutes. This dog is the best marker. The dog's the best blind runner. The dog can drive a ranger. The dog can fix fried eggs, okay? I mean, this dog is great. But at the end of the day, the dog's whining during the hunt. It's running the handler's hunt. It's running the friend's hunt. It's running the quality of the hunt, okay? Now, I believe that the reason for this is, is we bred these dogs for such high drive. And, you know, you have a high drive puppy. Uh, you have a high drive bred puppy. Now, sometimes we can overdo that. Uh, I don't think that a 454 goes in a Vega, okay? I, I think... Uh, I think that uh, uh, I don't think a, a hundred horse uh, outboard motor goes on a 1542 John boat. I mean, I think we can outdo ourselves. But with that being said, I think you have to learn how to not turn that throttle all the way up and just use a little bit of the throttle. And that's all done through control and through the management of that dog and him controlling his emotions. Now, is you're going through this in hunting, you have to realize that's another one of those things. You have to nip that in the bud on the front end as soon as it starts. The day it starts, you've got to be on him. And I do that. Uh, I'll start with a collar. I'll say no sit. Uh, I may even grab his muzzle, shake him around a little bit. Uh, then I may go to the wiffle ball bat. But I will tell you this. The problem has been, is, is, it's been no worse than it is today. It is horrible today how many dogs we have out there that the people are having that problem. But uh, I think we've bred that into them, uh, you know, uh, and I think that us as trainers, but because of our early coaching, we don't get onto those dogs very much. And we, we have those dogs real, we, we keep them real bumper crazy and high drive without any control. And I think it's just kind of what we get, but I can tell you as a hunter that hunts in timber, uh, every noise really matters. Uh, you know, like Chris can get away with a little bit of it because he's got, you know, water running over shallow rocks and, and there's some, some current there and you hear that flow of the river. That may hide a little bit of it, maybe not. But where I hunt, man, you can hear a pin drop. And so mm -hmm. that does not work in our setting whatsoever. And so right. we have to have a dog that is silent. And so, uh, and, and nobody wants to hunt with that dog. I'm just going to tell you, I, I've, I've hunted with them. Uh, it, it, it puts a bad vibe in the blind. It causes a lot of problems with your hunting partners and all that. Right. There's no place for it. So you've got to nip it in the bud. And, you know, and, and here's the deal, Elliot. Like with you, you're training your dog at home. You're training with bumpers all the time. You're not training with a gun. You're not training around a lot of other dogs. Like with Chris and I, the reason our success we have a lot of that is our dogs' distraction levels are so high. We're training with birds every day, guns every day, different places all the time. Uh, there's a lot of dogs around, so there's a lot of competition, so they're amped up. You know what I mean? They learn to control their emotions, and I think that's that's a huge plus of a dog being on a pro's trailer or truck than it is uh, with an amateur, as you can imagine. 
Right, right. Well, one more point of thought, then we'll go on to the next question. She didn't. She didn't do any whining her first season of hunting. So I know it's something tied to me. This last weekend, I went out snow goose hunting, and there was a lot of ducks flying around and cutting through our decoys. But my my demeanor was very relaxed and laid back, and she didn't whine. So there must be something there, even maybe that she's that I'm channeling through her in some way because she wasn't. Well, doing you it might, Elliot. You might be doing. You might be going and do, during duck season. Because you were no goose hunting, you saw ducks. You're like, oh, I can't even shoot them. You may be like during duck season, going, okay, guys, get ready. Here, here they come. Here they come. Come around. Come around. Come around. And the more you do that, right. the more she's like, ah, 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 ah. you know. So that might she might right. that might be her trigger is your excitement. Mm-hmm. You know, right? So I might be I able do to it. do something. I mean, and it's a, it's it's not a loud whining. It's a low whining, but yeah. still, it's enough that but, it drives but me nuts. And be so very it, careful. It gives of me it. hope that I might be able to channel it through myself. That girl will be singing the national anthem. That, that girl will be singing the national anthem before it's over, Elliot. I'm gonna tell you, there's no place for her. you can't let. Yeah, it be it careful. Over. Super, super careful. All right. Well, think that's great feedback. All right, let's move on. We've got two more here. This is from Sherry Stout. She says, "I'd love to see." an episode on what to expect when you drop off your dog for training. Chris knows all too well that I had no idea what I was getting into and it took me a lot to learn to trust the process. A year out, my Chessie just picked up his 150th goose and I couldn't ask for a better hunting partner. I would guess that other folks just getting into this would also benefit from hearing about this topic. I think Sherry's talking about what to expect, like from, from your trainer or what to expect, um, the process right. and her dog Kobuck, Kobuck, big, strong, beautiful male Chesapeake. That dog is a nice, nice dog. But Sherry um, is very highly educated. So for her, one plus one, she's like a scientist type person, and one plus one always equals two with her. And you know, you can read all the books and videos you want. And say, okay, it's seven weeks you're doing this. It takes one month to do this. It takes two months to do that. It doesn't work like that in the dog world. Um, it, it's done when it's done, and I think a lot of people think we can make, wave our magic wand and have a dog completely built in four months, six months, eight months, whatever it is. And I think some frustration sets in with some of the new, newer clients that are newer to the game that think, hey, you know, it's going to take me four years to get a master's degree or however long it's going to be, and it's going to take four months. And when we say four months for our gun dog program, people think, okay, They'll, they'll, they'll literally text me and I haven't talked to them in a month. They'll say, Hey, we're coming on Tuesday. That's four months to the day. I'm like, no, 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 no. It doesn't work like that. You know, maybe your dog's a little bit slower. Maybe it needs to mature a little bit more, that sort of thing. So I, I think her question is what to expect. Um, I usually have to trust the process and, and then you have to tell them, Hey, just trust the process, but they also have to be patient. Um, when, 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 when they do that and don't expect Chris or I, to send you videos and pictures every week because we do not have the time. You know, you'd rather have us training your dog than taking pictures of every dog out there. So um, I, I think that's your question, Elliot. Or do you reading it differently than me? No, that's how I'm reading it. What do you expect? Once they're dropping the dog off to you guys, what do they expect to that process of you having their dog? That's how I read yeah, it. Yeah, it, it's just a process and you got to trust it. Chris, what do you, where do you, what do you think on that? Well, I, I think I think that uh, communication is the name of the game, and and uh, and I think that, that there's a lot of trust there. Uh, 
you know, when the people drop the dog off, we explain to them what we're going to be doing with the dog during the first month. Uh, we explained to them that we would appreciate them not calling once a week uh, and getting you know, updates or whatever. There's not a whole lot to talk about. Uh, we, we try to limit it, you know, to once a month. Uh, you know, we, Chris and I both have pretty large operations with a lot of dogs. And if we did that with every dog, we'd never even get to train a dog. Uh, so, you know, we, we try to keep it to a minimum. But there is some great times uh, at the end of obedience, at the end of force fetch, uh, you know, dogs starting to be steady and doing doubles. There are some great bullet point timing with the power of these iPhones. We just shoot some videos and send two people, and that gives more than me and Chris could explain in 30 minutes. It gives them, they can see the style of the dog. They can see his attitude. They can see, you know, how he's progressing with his training. We can do all that. We're not doing that on a daily basis. We're not doing that on a weekly basis. We're doing that at the end of some very important bullet point, uh, you know, training deals. I mean, we get a dog that's doing heel sit, stay, kill, here, no. I don't mind doing one then. I don't mind doing one at the end of force fetch. We're getting them delivering a hand. It's kind of a cute spot to show. Definitely when we're doing steady stuff with a gun or with birds. Uh, but, you know, you, you just got to trust your trainer. Uh, you're handing him off. Uh, part of your family and and you got to entrust in him that you pick the right trainer uh, you know and the guy that i tell you this the guy that knows something about his dog that he doesn't like lack of retrieving desire scared of the gun uh doesn't like the water doesn't like birds uh that guy will call me twice as much because he's trying to figure out if a i figured that out or B, if the dog's improved in those areas. Man, just communicate with the trainer on your concerns about the dog and so that he can jump right to that as soon as he can because this is a pretty expensive venture. You know, a lot of money. In today's world, money is of the essence, and you've got you to make every dollar count. Uh, help yourself along by helping the trainer on your eyes because you spent more time with the dog than anybody. And, uh, and that way you get the biggest bang for your buck, but uh, it's all about communication. And, and look, Chris and I are probably two of the best. We, I'm going to brag on us for once best at communicating. Uh, we will answer your text. We will answer your phone call at just about any time. Chris and I spend a lot of time on the phone and a lot of time returning text uh, throughout the day. Uh, even when we don't need to be, uh, just because we do have an open line of communication with our clients. All right. You got anything else to add? Are we ready to move to the last one? No, that's, that's, that's all great. And one little thing to add, and Chris touched on it a little bit. I call it, when you drop your dog off for training, you know, just, just communicate what you you would like your dog to do, what you, you know, you're hoping to get out of the dog. What, what, how, after four months, six months, however long it's going to be, eight months, what would you like the dog to do? What would you like to see the dog do? And you have to be honest, like Chris said, with the trainer. Take your mommy. I call them mommy goggles. Take your mommy goggles off. The dog is not your son. It's not your daughter. It's a dog. And take your mommy goggles off. Evaluate it. In your mind, evaluate it. And tell us. Like Chris said, hey, I, he's, the dog doesn't have a whole lot of prey drive right now. A dog, a little bit nervous around loud noises. We need to know those things. And those things help us. So just just communicate. That's all I got. 
All right, we're on to the last one. This is Bill Mason. I will say, Bill, this question was addressed a little bit in episode three, so if you haven't heard that one, you might listen to that one as well. But he asks, how often do you set up triples in training? Assuming you run primarily singles, how do you challenge the dog's memory and understanding multiple bird concepts? Do you ever teach a three-single mark and then throw the same as a triple? Chris, do you want to start or you want me to start? I'll, I'll be glad to. We, we, uh, okay. I've done it all ways. I've, I've thrown all singles. I've thrown all multiples. I've thrown uh, uh, all singles and put together as a multiple. I've done them all. And, and I, I think that in order to be good at anything, you have to practice that. Uh, so I think you have to run a lot of multiples and, uh, you know, there are dogs that are, are big time head swingers and those kind of dogs, we like to do singles, uh, you know, off multiple guns. I think that dogs that are, you know, keep their head in the game and do what they're supposed to, we run all multiples. We run a lot of interrupted stuff. Uh, we run a lot of, uh, uh, out of order stuff where we're, you know, we're knowing off of marks and running blinds and coming back and picking up. So like, you know, as a kennel owner, we have bird boys in the field today. Like I had two all day. That's what we have every day, two in the field throwing. Okay. Realize that's a very expensive venture to have two grown men out in the field that we pay. Um, they're there from seven in the morning till five in the afternoon every day throwing and so we get the most of that now today what we would do is they would throw two marks we would know off those two marks we would run two blinds uh, that were a little bit out of the picture and then we would come back and either a pick up those two marks if they were some of the upper level dogs like the grand dogs we would throw those two marks know off of them, run the two blinds, come back, and then while those guys were running blinds, those two guys would move. And then we would throw two more marks, and then, A, we could either pick those two marks up, come back and pick up all four marks, or, B, like I did with most of them, we actually ran another blind uh, and then came back and picked up picked up all the other marks. So th there's all different ways of doing even multiples would drive off marks, uh, you know, uh, do, throwing them as, as multiples. But I think you're good at what you practice. So, you know, if you're going to run multiples on the weekends, you better be running some multiples in training. Uh, I think the deal with running singles and then coming back and running it as, as multiple, I think that's a pretty good deal for amateurs. But I'll tell you, I'm not, I'm not too sure that it doesn't take longer to get to the end. Uh, and what I mean by that is, is a dog that can't, that's not good at that, uh, that's not good at doing multiples. When you had an amateur, you usually don't have two or three bird boys in the field. See, with Chris and I, if we have a dog gets in trouble, we got a bird boy in the field to help out. Or we can have him step out or we can rethrow it or whatever. When you got wingers or you don't have that kind of manpower, it's really hard to do those multiples. So it's easy for a guy to go out there and set up singles, run them, go back, reload your wingers, sit down, throw it as a multiple and feel real good about it when you get back in the truck and go home. But I don't know that you got the big a bang out of it is what Chris and I do when we can have bird boys help out. I mean, the attitude of the dogs just stays good with bird boys versus friggin' wingers. 
And uh, I'm an anti-winger guy, always have been. Chris will tell you, we don't, you know, we just yeah. hate wingers. The first time yeah. Chris and I ever used wingers, we killed ourselves with them. I'll never forget it. We were in Georgia. It was and we were unbelievable. And, and we literally about lost our fingers, and it was just a disaster. It was still hilarious to this day. But we bird boys are the name of the game, and and uh, and that's your that's probably the biggest plus you've got to a pro. Uh, but but to answer your question, there's no one deal that's the best for each dog. But I do think you're good at what you practice, and multiples are definitely of the utmost importance to me. Yeah, and that's a good point. And and if you only, if you have a training partner, you have one person that you train with, and, and you have some wingers, right? So you could do with that training partner. You could hand throw that bird, so you could run a delayed triple, and you so just say you have a market for easy nine, twelve, three. You know, you put your and let's just say your your twelve o'clock bird. You want to work on a long punch bird as a memory bird, right? So you could put that your helper, your buddy out there, and you could hand throw that bird, and then you could turn to nine o'clock, and that could be a winger bird, and go pick up that up as a single, and then turn over to three o'clock, throw that out of a winger, go get it as a single, and come back, and now you got your buddy out there on your long middle punch bird, and if the dog doesn't remember the spot he doesn't you know he don't they don't walk in you can have him step out and go hey 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 and then the guys the dog's like oh there's one and then have him back and go back into the holding blind and kick the dog off then if the dog gets lost he's out there to help so if you've only got one helper it only takes one person to teach to teach a multiple um do it with like a delayed triple or or chris says a lot of times we'll do in our training if I really want to work on some memory, let's just say I only have one thrower for the day. Um, you know, you could do that delayed triple, but instead of going to get that, the long punch bird, like you're, you're like, you were going to third, no off of it, run a blind or two, and then come back and go get it after that. So it depends on the, the level of your dog and, 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 and the ability of your dog. But, but here's the thing. You'll, you'll never, your dog will never get better if you don't expect him to, and you don't challenge him to. So I'm with Chris, the, the amateur that does the single, 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 put it together as a triple. I don't think you're teaching the dog a whole lot. Except you drive home and you feel good about yourself and you pat yourself on the back. It makes you feel better when you drive home. I, I think if you have one helper doing a delayed triple, double, double, you know, something like that, I think it would really, really help. You know, throw a sing If you want to do singles, but and if all you can do is singles, we do we, we, we do a one for one sometimes. We call it one for one. A lot of times we'll throw a mark, run a blind, throw a mark, run a blind, throw a mark, run a blind. Well, if you want to work on memory, throw a mark, no off of it, run a blind. Go back and get the mark. Throw another mark, no off of it, run a blind, go back and get that mark. Then you're working on some memory. So um, there's a lot of ways to do great, it. You gotta great, really be careful. Great drill. Great drill. Great. And, and if, Great and if you are, you're now your dog. Yep. And if your dog is starting to head swing a bunch and you see it before that mark hits the ground, they head swing to the next mark. Whoa, back off. Quit, quit running some multiples, slow down because they're expecting the next one to come out. So, so, so go back and do some singles, but that was a good question. That's all I got. You know, let, let me, let me, let me discuss this. I think we can kind of, kind of wrap this up, but, 
Guys, just because your dog doesn't do great on that setup didn't mean you didn't teach that dog anything. Experience is all we're trying to give the dog, okay? That's teaching, experience. It, it, it is in my life. It is in your dog's life. But as, as you drive home and you think, you know what? Friggin' whatever. Cowboy missed the, the punch bird today. Cowboy missed the, the short bird today. It's what you do with those and how you repair that, okay? And like today, when I was telling you about my little golden today, Willa, she missed a mark because she didn't see it. And then I made a correction when she went back to the old fall. I called her back. I relined her back up on a big, huge punch bird, very hard to get to. And I sent her and she went and got the bird. Although I made all those corrections, I didn't put her up thinking, man, she sucked today. I put her up thinking how much she learned today. So don't walk away 100%. thinking that because your dog misses a mark or whatever, that you're not going the right direction. And that deal of running all three singles and coming back and running it as a multiple, we all did that back in the day. It's very time consuming. It takes a billion marks to get them really good at it, doing it. Uh, it's for a amateur deal. I think it's for a self pat on the back. But I'm not too sure those dogs are getting the right kind of experiences to progress their education and to progress them becoming great. You know, and, and so just don't feel bad if you have to get onto your dog on a blind, get onto your dog on a mark. You are progressing that dog. And I've seen dogs that I put up thinking, man, that dog's awful. And the next day they come out guns blazing and there's something to a dog sleeping on his mistakes and coming back the next day and trying to repair those and trying to show himself and us that he can do that, that he can do better. And that's when, that's when it really starts going together. Yeah. I agree with all that 100%. And, 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 and not only on marks, but on blinds there, there's, when you run a blind, it, it, unless it's an absolute train wreck, there is no reason to rerun a blind over and over and over until the dog is lining the thing. If your dog handles a blind, stops the whistle, changes direction nicely, and you pick it up in a few whistles, that's great. There's no reason to rerun that blind. The only reason, only way you're going to rerun that blind that makes you feel better, you'll drive home and you think you're king of the world because your dog will line a blind. No, it, you were trying to teach cold blind. It's the same thing as Mark's. Just because a dog has a, a bunch of whistles or some corrections on a mark, long as long as or excuse me, a blind, long as they're doing it right and they're changing direction, they're learning. That's that's what you want. So the rerunning this stuff over and over and over is I don't think it's a healthy process. I think it just makes the handler and the trainer feel better about their day, is what I think. That's right. Now there's nothing saying you can't come back on Friday and rerun that and now it's a pattern blind but you need to up your ante and hold your 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 uh, your standard a little higher because the dog's already been there one time he ought to his performance ought to be a lot better so now instead of letting him get a little wide here or barely on the point here just up your ante and make the make it a little bit harder uh harder by holding your standard higher and it's not that you can't repeat things like that. We do it all the time. We just don't do it on the same day. We'll come back and run it. We may even run it a month later. We do that all the time because 
we train on 230 acres is where my kennel is. We've got two facilities, one's 52 and one's 230. And so we train on those two places all the time. So they're going to repeat stuff, but they're not going to do it the same day. You know what I mean? And, uh, and I think mm-hmm. that's a huge help. because That's how you build confidence. It's not that you're repeating because you're not doing it. You're not just relining him right back up and sending him right back in there. And to get to what Chris was saying, and to get to what Chris is saying real quick, is is when you running a dog, repeating a mark or repeating a blind over and over and over until the dog runs straight, you're honestly not building confidence in that dog. You're actually hurting that. All you're doing is teaching the dog to run straight and just run, but you're not mm-hmm. building the confidence of that dog to run a, a cold blind. The only way to run good cold blinds is to run cold blinds. And the more whistles that that dog can take and then be successful, the more confident you make that dog and the more confident he looks at you and says, oh, he knows where he's going. I just have to listen. If you just rerun it over and over and over, you're not helping that dog's confidence at all. Confidence comes from from, um, doing a task and being successful. Not be doing it perfect, just be successful. And the more times they're successful on an unknown task, which like, let's just say it, a cold blind, the more times they're successful and listen to you and get to the end goal, the more confident they're going to be down the road. So your blinds may end up, you know, they may start out at 10 whistles. And next thing you know, in a few months, you're, you're doing those in three whistles on cold blinds. The same sort of concept, but a different area. That's how you build confidence in yeah. a dog. It's not rerunning it over and over and over. You're just you're actually hurting the dog's progress by doing that. Well, I think that is a fantastic point. I, I never I had never thought about that. I guarantee you there's so many amateurs right now that do that same thing. I've done it, and I think that is just phenomenal advice that most amateurs don't know. So that's a really good place to end here. We want to thank Chris Aiken for coming on. Chris, shout out um, your promo stuff and where your kennel is and everything. We're at Web-Footed Kennels in Jonesboro, Arkansas. And uh, we're right here in God's country, as they say. And uh, we're on Facebook, uh, Web-Footed Kennel. And just reach out to me anytime. My phone number's on there. And we'll be glad to help any way we can. All right, Chris. Why shout out uh, Flatlander Kennel too? Even though everyone knows, let them let them know again. Yeah, we're at you know, Flatlander Kennels Inc. on Facebook. We do some Facebook stuff, and um, we also have Flatlander Kennels podcast Facebook page. Get on that as well. Um, you can find us on Facebook on both of those places. My phone number is on there. Call me, text me, message me, whatever you need. We'd love to help you out. Chris, I can't thank you enough for being. It's past both of our bedtimes right now. By about an hour and a half, but I can't thank you enough for the last two episodes, bud. And uh, I will see you in a couple weeks, and we're gonna get out. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Elliot. Hey guys, thanks for listening. See everybody at the line. Take that aim. <laughs>